So we're looking to see Jesus in every book of the Bible, and we want to exhort everybody who's viewing us that if you're going through something, uh, Jesus will show up where you are. He's not just in the Bible. He's where you are, coming to see about you, coming to provide for you, coming to take care of you, coming to communicate his love for you, coming to show his love for you, coming to wrap his arms around you and let you know that he's going to make it all all right. If you're alive, he's going to make it all right, some way, somehow. Amen? So tonight we're going to continue in our study, Seeing Jesus Christ in every book of the Bible, um, and especially in the Old Testament. And it's pretty easy to see Jesus in the New Testament. And why is that? Because he came during the New Testament time, right? And, uh, and the New Testament time talks about his life and his activity um, and his ministry and his working of miracles and his teaching in the New Testament. Um, so, but the Old Testament tells, we can see Jesus in the Old Testament. You say, well, how is that if he wasn't born yet? Well, we've been seeing that and we've been studying that. And uh, we exhort you to, to go back and listen to a podcast of some of our prior lessons so that you can see that Jesus Christ is in every book of the Bible. And from the beginning, God was preparing a savior for the world so that salvation is available now to everybody. It's available to who? everybody that would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ can save your soul, that Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, will bring eternal life to you so you can have the good life here and now, you can have the good life in heaven after now. Amen? So we, we're seeing Jesus in every book of the Bible. Right now we're up to, uh, we started from Genesis and now we're up to the book of Psalms. Seeing Jesus in the book of Psalms. And uh, we have, we have a, 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 a times enjoying the word. And we've got some folks who've been studying along with us and uh, reading the Bible when they're not here. It's important to read the Bible when you're not at Bible study. You should be reading the Bible every single day. Something from the word should come to you every single day. And this book of Psalms that we're studying right now, it's the perfect place to go to every day. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible and you're like, well, that is too hard, it's too difficult to understand, it is not. There are places where it's plain as day and the book of Psalms is one of those places. So I exhort you, I encourage you, read the book of Psalms, one of them every day. There's enough in there that lasts you for half the, half the year, amen? So. Let's go back to the book of Psalms. Let's review some of the things that we've already talked about. Um, because you know sometimes when you're in class, after class is over, uh, what you learned in class kind of runs on down the street away from you. So, uh, so we're going to look back and review a few things and see something new tonight. Okay? So we know that Psalms are what? They are songs. Songs that are what? They are poetic. They are played, they're played on stringed instruments. Okay, they're songs to be sung. And, normal, and because we read it in the Bible, uh, we don't sing it when we're reading it, but you can. But you could. 
and many, and as you learn to read the book of Psalms, you will, and, and if you spend time, any time in praise, in worship, in church services, you will begin to see that many songs are based on the book of Psalms um, because it is a collection of poetic songs that were played on stringed instruments. They are a collection of poetic songs played on stringed instruments. Okay, how many songs are in this book? 150, don't be scared. 150 of them are in this book. And we learned that, uh, that they were written by people uh, that knew something about music. Who was one of those people that knew something about music who wrote some of the book of Psalms? King David, absolutely right. King David was one of the writers of some of the Psalms in this book, okay? Does anybody remember somebody, another person who was a writer of some of these Psalms? Ezra, very good. I have a brilliant class here tonight. They remember what they've been taught, glory to God. They let the devil steal the word out of their life. So, so those are two of the people that wrote some of the songs. Does anybody remember anybody else? Asaph, who was a worship leader. He was a writer of some of the songs. He was also a person who wrote them down. Even as Ezra was a person who wrote, wrote them down so they, they could be put together in a, collect, in a collection, in a book, okay? And were there other writers? Yes. Hmm? Yes. Anybody remember that Moses was one of the writers of some of the Psalms? So, so if Moses was one of the writers of some of the Psalms, and we're talking about King David being the writer of some of the Psalms, and Asaph being a writer of some of the Psalms, and other musicians writing the Psalms, what does that tell us about this vast number of songs? And some of the first ones were written by Moses. They span many years. The writing of them spans many years. They weren't written just like in five years, somebody put together a collection and then published it. They were written over many, many years. And last time we, we began to talk about the fact that some of the songs that were written, uh, uh, many of them were written by David and we know that. and uh, and. Uh, he was responsible, and some of the songs were written when the tabernacle, when the temple was built, and he selected people to do the songwriting and to do the singing of the songs. Why was he the? Why would he be the person to choose singers? Because he knew music, because he was a musician himself. Correct? Did he play stringed instruments? Yes. Did he sing? Yes. And we learned that, right? Okay. So he would be a, a logical person to select singers. And as we see over many, many years, these songs were written. How come they didn't fade away? Because they, they were sung over and over and over. Because initially, did everybody have a hymn book? Did anybody have a hymn book? No, they did not, right? So they had to do what with the songs? 
They had to learn, they had to memorize them. They had to memorize them, okay? And, and so that is one of the ways that, that the songs maintained, sustained over many, many years, over hundreds of years. Over how many years? Hundreds of years. Okay, and the book of Psalms, as, I, as I've studied, I discovered that, that the book of Psalms was, was written and, and all of that, um, and that the Psalms uh, were written uh, in the main a thousand years before Jesus showed up. Legacy. A thousand years before Jesus showed up. And last time, we talked about the fact that many of the Psalms are prophetic songs. They're prophetic. What does that mean? They were, prophecies. they were songs of revelation. They were songs that were, that were foretelling things that would come in the future. Okay? And so many of them were, were prophetic songs that were telling something, some things that would come in the future. Like they were telling about what would come in the future. Like Jesus would come in the future. How, would they, how could they know anything about Jesus coming in the future? Because of their relationship with God. Because of their relationship with God. Because of their prayer time with God. Because of, of them drawing close to God. Because of them listening to God. Have you ever had the Lord tell you something when you prayed, while you were praying, while you were meditating on his word, he told you something and it didn't make any sense to you. And then sometime later, you saw what he said and then what he said made sense. Anybody had that experience? Amen. Okay. And so, and so we're not the first ones to have that experience. The, the, the writers of the Psalms had that experience. The Lord revealed things to them in, in their time with him, in their meditation with him, and they wrote them down. And they thought that it uh, maybe it just applied to themselves. But we found out it applied to the Lord Jesus Christ and even to us. Now, what's one good thing about the book of Psalms that, that lets us know it applies to us? Exactly right, because it still speaks to us today. today. And, it's, and that's why I said it's a wonderful book to be, to be reading every day, because it was, it's a book that speaks to us today, even though it was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. It speaks to us today. Somebody tell me a psalm, a chapter in the book of Psalms that speaks to you today. Psalm 23. Okay, which one is it? Psalm 32, 7. Okay. You, Lord, you, you, Lord, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs and victory. Give her a hand. Glory to God. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Somebody here is memorizing the words to the song so that it can speak to us today. Somebody said the 23rd Psalm speaks to them. Some, another one. Anybody have a different one? The one we used last week or the week with the storm was Psalm 91, right? Tell me another one that speaks to you. Anybody have another one? 
Psalm 68 and verse 19. You know what it says? The Lord daily loadeth us with benefits. Anybody like that one? Yes. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Hmm? Psalm 27. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Hey, who else knows that? Some, some people got it committed to memory. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. All right. Let me, let me show you one of my favorites, okay? Psalm. Anybody branched out past your favorites? <laughs> Good. You can have a favorite chapter. You can have a favorite verse. You can have favorite verses. You can have multiple favorites in this book because it speaks to our everyday life. Okay? All right, I'm going to show you two of mine. Maybe three. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Okay, turn to Psalm 42. Let's see if anybody likes this one. It's the word of God, so you better say, I love it. <laughs> okay. 42, verse 1. says, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Verse 5, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Amen? Amen. Anybody like that? Yes. Can anybody use that? Yes. Amen. You need to add this to your repertoire. Yes. Amen. That's why, that's, why the, that's why there's a passage that says I run in, you can run into the word and be safe. Because you can find safety in that word. Safety meaning what you can find out that God is for you, that God knows what you're going through, that God is available. And that you can, you can talk to him just like he's in the room with you. Because he is. You can talk to him just like you're having a conversation with a, a person. Because you are. Amen? Amen. Anybody ever used this, this psalm before? Okay, good. All right. Good, good, good. Verse 40, Psalm 46. I know I'm not the only one over here, 46. Okay. <laughs> Chapter, Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, 
though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Drop down to verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And the church said amen to that. Amen. All right, let me give you one more of my favorites. Okay, let me see. I have a lot of them in here. Okay, hold yourself back, woman. Come on now. You can't, you can't read them all. You can't do them all. <laughs> okay. Just a, little, just a little dab of this one right here. 139. Y'all know that one? Somebody said that's a long one. It's a good one. It's a healing song. This song will heal you. This is a healing song. Because remember, these are songs, and they're, and they're, also, they're written for many different reasons. Okay? So, Psalm 139. Just going to read a little bit. Starting at verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. What does it mean when, when it says thou hast beset me behind and before? You've covered me on every side. You've been all around. You're, you're always all around me. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Verse 7, whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? What, what, what is being suggested here? You can't get away from God. He's going to be available to you. When, you're, when, when it's a good time, when it's not a good time, when you're, when you're happy with him, when you're not happy with him, when you're happy with you and you're not happy with you. Amen. God is available. Okay, so drop down to verse 17. It says, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. What does that mean? The Lord does not think you're chopped liver. The Lord does not think ill of you. It says, how precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. What does that mean, the great is the sum of them? That means that you're on the Lord's mind how often? All the time. All the time. And his thoughts to, towards us, his thoughts towards you are for good. Are for what? Good and not evil. So when things are not going your way, things are not going the way you, you expected, does it mean that God don't like you? No. Does it mean that God doesn't love you? No. 
I said, no, say no. No, no. It, it, it means something's going on, right? It means things are going on. It, it, it means that, that there's a disturbance in the atmosphere. It has nothing to do with the fact that the, about the love of God towards us. At all. Say, when it ain't right. When I ain't right. I'm still precious to God. You ought to shout on that. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. Mm -mm -mm. All right. Let's go on a little bit further tonight and uh, try to <laughs> get to the end. All right. Before we get to the end, let's go to the end. All right. <laughs> Before we get to the end, let's go to the end. What's the end? What's the end of this book? 150. Psalm what? 150. 150. Okay. Let's, let's go there right now so I don't get carried away and we miss it. All right. Glory to God. Mm-hmm. Okay, Psalm 150, are you there? Now what you need to know about Psalm 150 and the latter portion of this book is that um, it ends with books that bless the name of the Lord. These chapters at the end of, of the book of Psalms bless the name of the Lord, okay? And uh, let's see if we can figure out when the... Psalm 150, okay? Now, before we go there, if you, if you have notes in your Bible and you go to Psalm 145, who does it say wrote Psalm 145? David. David, you see that? Psalm 146 don't, don't have a name, you know why? That's David too, 146. What about 147? Same thing, what about 148? What about 149? What about 150? It doesn't, why doesn't it say? Because they all were written by David, one after the other, after the other, after the other right here, okay? All right, so let's go to 150. This is, how, this is how the book ends. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for what? His mighty acts. Praise him according to what? His excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. What's a psaltery? What, what is it? That's right, say that. It's a stringed instrument 
It's a string instrument. He said, I ain't never seen one of them. I, but I, I don't. I, well, when you read the Bible and you don't know, that pause. <laughs> Amen. And find out. But it's a string instrument. That's an that's a excellent uh, deduction there. Okay, where are we? Verse 4. Praise him with a timbrel and dance. What's a timbrel? Like a tambourine, exactly. Mm-hmm, exactly. Praise him with a timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and what? And, okay, and organs. In some, in some translations it says organs, it means flutes, okay? Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath do what? Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Many, many songs are based on this song right here. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Let's see. Last time we were looking at some passages, the prophetic passages predicting the Jesus to come. And there's a couple of them that I didn't get to last time, so I wanted to share those with you tonight. So, let's go to Psalm 35. I may have done this one last time, but we'll do it again. It's okay. Psalm 35. There's a reference to the coming of Jesus Christ in Psalm 35. And verse 19. And it says... Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me, what? Without a cause. Okay, so here, this is a Psalm of David, and he's writing about his own experience. Um, he's, he's receiving a song from the Lord about his own experience, and in the course of writing about his own experience of being hated without a cause, the, the prophetic came on him while he was writing. And this particular passage didn't just apply to him. It was applying to who was to come, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Turn to the Gospel, the New Testament Gospel of John. The New Testament Gospel of John and chapter 15. Are you there? Chapter 15 and let's go to verse 25. John chapter 15 and verse 25. And this is very, this is super powerful because I think we did look at this last time, and when we got to Psalm, I mean, when we got to John 15 and 25, we discovered that in the Red Letter Bible, these words are in red, and in Red Letter Bibles, words that are printed in red denote the fact that Jesus Christ is speaking. So, in Psalm 35 and 19, David was talking about uh, somebody hating him without a cause, but it was prophetic as well as applied to him. 
And here in John 15 and verse 25, Jesus is speaking. And he says, but this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in the law. They hated me without a cause. Is that awesome or what? How did Jesus know what was written in the law? How did Jesus know what was written in the law, in the old covenant law? How did Jesus know about it? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. He is the word. He is the word. Okay. How else is he able to, to speak about the Old Testament covenant law. He studied the word. He studied there. Was he taught the word? He was taught the word. Where was he taught the word at? In Sunday school? No, in his home. Did they have Sunday school in Jesus' day? No, they didn't have Sunday school, but they had synagogue. Amen. And in that time, which is still, uh, it still should be in this time, that the word should be taught to children at home, not just at church, not just at Sunday school. So he was learning it at home. He was learning it uh, at, at the synagogue from the priest as well. And he's saying that what, what, you read, what you read in the word that was written thousands of years ago was about me not just King David, okay? And now, it's coming to pass. and now it's coming to pass. And so the people who are hearing him speak, it's like shock and awe to them, right? Because they were reading it for, for they've been reading it their whole life, hearing it their whole life, even if they weren't reading it, hearing it their whole life, associating it with the old covenant, associating it with King David, and now here Jesus is saying, here it is. I'm the one hated without a cause. Okay. Awesome, right? I think it's awesome. All right. Let's, let's do Psalm 69. Psalm 69 and verse 9. Okay, Psalm 69, are you there? Psalm 69, who wrote it? How do you know that David wrote it? It says it right here in the book, <laughs> right? It says it right here in the book. Okay, Psalm 69, and let's look at verse 9. It says, for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. What is he saying there? What is David saying there? The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. What does that mean? Hmm? What do you think that means? The zeal, what, what is zeal? Zeal is excitement. 
Zeal is passion. Zeal is enthusiasm. Any other description for zeal? Excitement, enthusiasm, passion. Consumed, okay? I'm consumed with it, okay? It's like being a what? It's, it's like being a fan, okay? How many people know, how many people are fans of anything? A school, a team, a something, okay? So if you're, the, if you, if you're a fan, you have a zeal, right? And, and when you talk about that team to other people, how do you talk about it? With excitement, with excitement, with pride, with arrogance, <laughs> with enthusiasm, with passion. And, and, and if you're a fan and you have zeal, then, then, then you want who to know about it? Everybody. You want everybody to know about it. And so, the, so it comes out of your mouth and, we're, and, and it shows up in your... your your attire, in your shoes, how you talk, what you spend your time on. Here, David was saying the zeal of the house of the Lord consumed him. Meaning what? Okay, his, his heart was for it, right? His heart was for it. And, and, and what do you know about David? What was he purposing to do in that time? About the house of God. What was he purposing to do that he would say this? He was purposing to build it. He was making preparation for it to be built. He was making preparation for it to be built. And so he was gathering together the things for it to be built before it was ever time for it to be erected. Okay, so that is Psalm 69. Now, John chapter 2. Gospel of John chapter 2. Okay. And here we're going to see Jesus. In Psalm, I mean, sorry, in John chapter 2 and verse 17. Not starting at verse 13, actually. And it says, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold dust, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Verse 17. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. So what's happening here? The disciples are seeing Jesus in the temple going off. 
going off. Going off because people are doing things in there that they should not have been doing in there. And the disciples are watching Jesus do this. And evidently to them it, wasn't, it was no big deal. How could it not be a big deal to them before they encountered Jesus, before they, before they became his disciples? Because they were used to seeing that go on. That wasn't the first day it was happening. They were used to seeing it go on, and now they, they go to the temple with Jesus, and Jesus sees it, and, he, and he's turning the place out. And they did not have the same kind of zeal. That's very good. But when they saw him, verse 17 says, that his disciples remembered that it is written. They what? They remembered that it is written. How could they remember what was written? They, they were taught it. So, so uh, somebody said, the word was in them. They've been taught it. They've heard it. They were raised up on it. And you can be taught the word, raised up under the word, and hear the word, and know it, and, and be able to quote it, but be slack about it, not be consumed not be zealous, not have zeal for it. But when they saw Jesus driving out these money changers and people selling this and that and the, and the other and going off, it says, then they remembered, his disciples remembered that it is written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And what was written had been written hundreds of years before. But they've been hearing it all their life growing up. And now they see it manifesting in Jesus' behavior. It's like, oh yeah, the word did say. So what did that, what do you think it did for them? What do you think this, this experience with Jesus did for them? Did they just say, oh, oh yeah, that's that. That's right. What did it do for them? Changed them. Raised their level of commitment. Raised their zeal to a higher place. Because was their zeal equal to Jesus' zeal at this point in time? And they were disciples. But they were disciples. But what is a disciple? A student. A learner. So they're learning. They're being brought to a higher place in their relationship with God. And, and, and by seeing this, knowing what was written, and now seeing Jesus demonstrate what, it, what zeal looks like, did it benefit them in their future? How do we know it benefited them in their future? Because after the resurrection, 
after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, did they have zeal? Oh, they had zeal for real, right? And then this passage became their testimony. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. They became consumed with a love for the things of God, what God wants, what God wills. And by that zeal, they changed, their lives changed, and by that... Amen? Amen. We'll stop there tonight. God bless you. Bless you. Come on, put your hands together.